Yeah. 
delighted today to have uh, a young lady that's no stranger to a lot of you. In fact, somebody was mentioning to me last week about keeping her in the nursery uh, a long time ago. Sunday school teacher, Carson Hill, is here today. And a very talented young lady, thankful for what God has uh, gifted her to do. She's going to minister to us in music uh, before the sermon today. Carson, thanks for being here. Bless you as you sing. Um, well, it's like I was telling my mom, I'm used to getting up and singing in front of a bunch of people, but every time I go to sing in church, I always get super nervous, and I don't know what it is, because I've sang in arenas full of people for monster jams, and I'm just terrified now. I don't know why. Because I know half of you guys, you know, me from when I was really little. I was a little girl with, like, Shirley Temple, so. Um, but I'm going to sing one of my favorite songs that almost everyone knows, so please sing along with me, because I don't want to be the only one singing. But, um, yeah, this is Alpha Highway. Find in your Bibles, please, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And I think she'll be singing as well at the uh, mother-daughter banquet I saw, so you'll look forward to that. Luke chapter 15, beloved, our God, He is good 
all the time. He's good all the time. We serve a good God. Psalm 31.19 says, Oh, how great is your goodness which you've laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. This past week I ran across something written by a fellow by the name of Chris Tigreen that I want you to listen to. He said it's a strange enigma. The goodness of God is almost universally recognized and yet rarely trusted. At an intellectual level, we know that God is good. After all, He says He is, and we have plenty of evidence that He has been good to us. But at the same time, we think about our future and the dreams we have. We suspect that God might not really give them to us. We have our preferences for career directions, mates, children, friendships, interests, and more. And deep down we wonder, will God bless me with these things or will I strive for them myself? We, we seem certain that obedience will always result in pain. He went on to say it's true that obedience is sometimes painful. But the life that is surrendered to God will experience blessing and the blessing will be good. Will it be hard? Maybe, but not without ample benefit. He said the mistrust we have about how God will treat us is a lie. It comes from the hard truth about the cost of discipleship, but it leaves out the amazing promises of a God who is good by his very nature. Listen, when he tells us that his plans for us are good... We forget that he might actually know how to define good. He concludes by saying, think of this, the God who designs you, interest and passions included, the God who wove you together in your mother's womb and has sovereignly shaped your personality ever since is the God who promised you goodness. Whatever he has planned for you, you will like it. Cast aside your assumptions that he always defines goodness as something terribly hard and painful. His goodness may involve hardship, but it doesn't center on it. He knows what you need and he promises it will be good. Now, I think Chris brought out a balance that we need in our lives, and that is we often think about the will of God, and we think about hardship and pain and suffering and all that may be involved in that. We forget about the very goodness of God. We forget about the fact that God is the one who made us, who shaped us, who, who molded us, who put us together. And God has His glory and our good in mind. So when you think about God, don't answer out loud, but when you think about God, do you naturally think about Him as being good? Do the words good and God go in the same line when you think about God? Or do you think perhaps today that God is out to get you? Do you see God as the great cosmic killjoy who's out to squash any happiness or joy that might leak out of your life? What do you think about God today? Be honest about your thinking. It was the great theologian and preacher A.W. Tozier who once wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So think about it today. What comes in your mind when we talk about God? We mention God. 
Do you think about the fact that He is good? You see, it's imperative, beloved, that we have a right view of God. And that right view of God comes from a right understanding of what God teaches about Himself in His Word, a biblical view of God. So we want to visit the parable of the prodigal son again. And I want to today show you a picture of God's goodness in this story. Because we have a picture of our Heavenly Father and the prodigal's father. We have a picture of our Heavenly Father and the prodigal's father. Now I know when I talk about the Heavenly Father, that some people really struggle with that. You know why? Because they think about the way their earthly father treated them. And so they have a hard time wrapping their arms around because maybe their earthly father mistreated them. Maybe, in fact, they never even had or knew, I should say, an earthly father. Maybe they were abandoned or left or abused or mistreated. And so we talk about the heavenly father in their minds. They think about their earthly father. And by the way, dads, we need to realize that in many ways our children do understand fatherhood when it comes to us, when they look at us. And so we want to reflect true Christ likeness in our lives. But if maybe you're here today and you never knew a father, an earthly father, or you didn't know a godly earthly father, well, this can help you to understand just how good your heavenly father is. Now, we call this the parable of the prodigal son, but a better title might actually be the parable of the loving father. You know why? Because the father is the hero of the story, not the prodigal son, not the older son. The hero of the story is the father, the loving father. And by the way, beloved, God is the hero and God is always the hero. He's always the hero. Now, Jesus here, you remember, is trying to get across to the Pharisees and scribes who criticized him just how much he does love those tax collectors and sinners. He's trying to get across to those scribes and Pharisees what God's true attitude is towards sinners. And God's true attitude is a attitude of love. He loves sinners. He loves them. He desires to save them. And we see here a picture of the Father's goodness and love. So here's the question. Just how good is our God today? Our Heavenly Father. Well, we, we see it in this play of it here, the prodigal's father. We notice, first of all, His kindness. His kindness. We see it time and time again in the story. Notice, first of all, how gracious and kind He is toward His rebellious son. You're in Luke 15. Look at verse number 12. It says, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. We talked about, in essence, he's saying what? Father, I wish you were dead. I want what's mine. I want my inheritance. So what does the father do? No doubt that's a wound. Imagine, Dad, your child coming to you and saying, listen, I don't care about you. I don't care about a relationship. I want my stuff and I'm getting out of here. So what does the father do? Well, notice what it says at the end of that verse. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, some of us will look at that and say, listen, that isn't love. That isn't kindness. That's foolishness. He should have punished the boy. He should have uh, uh, not given him his inheritance. But listen, the father in, in the story here shows kindness and gracious to his son, regardless of how the son was treating him. You see, this father would not force the son to stay. The father would not force the son to love. The father could not force the son to love. 
He gave them what he asked for. And it's a picture of millions of people today. You realize that? God blesses them in so many ways. He makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. He provides. He blesses. He gives. He does so many things for all of these people. And many of them do exactly what this boy did. What do they do? They walk away from the Father's love. They're not interested in the Father. They're not interested in a relationship with the Father. They just want His blessings. They do not want Him. But listen, the Father is good. And He's been good to His younger son, no doubt. We see His goodness in the way He treated His rebellious son. We see His goodness in the way He treated His hired servants. Look again in the passage of verse 17. But when He came to Himself, the younger son's thinking here. When He came to Himself, He said, How many of my father's hired servants, watch this, have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I mean, the way the father treated his hired servants was so wonderful. He not only provided a meal for them, but above and beyond. He blessed them. He gave them super abundance when it came to that. And when the younger son thought about it, even he had to recognize that his father is kind and gracious and generous. In fact, it was that memory that drove him back to his father. Which reminds us of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans 2 forces, or do you despise the riches, richness of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering? Listen, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. That's what happened in this story. The goodness of the father led to repentance. That is a change of mind, a change of direction. Instead of going away from the father, I'm going to the father. And so the father here is kind. He's good. And make no mistake about it, beloved. Our God is good and our God is kind. He is gracious, not only to those of us who love Him and know Him, but to all. He's a good God. But we also see His goodness today in this story when it comes to His love. Did you notice His love in the story? You see, we see a picture of God's love here. It's so vivid. Notice, first of all, love looking. Love looking. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, way out there. What does it say? It says his father saw him. His father saw him. Love looking. I was at a conference where David Jeremiah was preaching on this passage. And he was talking about the fact he was thinking about it. And he made the mention that perhaps the way the father knew this was the son was because of his gait. That is the way the son walked. You know, people have a certain way they walk. We don't often know how we walk, do we? But I've got a certain way I walk. You've got a certain way you walk. And maybe he remembered his son. He looked him way out on the horizon out there. And he's looking and he sees this fellow coming. And he noticed the gait. He noticed the way the guy walks. And he's watching. And he says, there is my son. Which reminds us that he's looking for his son. Many of us, be honest about it. What, what would we have done? We would have written him off. We weren't looking for him. If we saw him, we don't even care. But it says why well, it was a great way off. The son was lost. The son was dead. But now he's coming home. We notice love looking, but then notice love running. Look at that verse 20 again. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Now watch this. And had compassion and ran. The father did. Now, beloved, they tell me that in this time, in this culture, this was not a normal thing for a man in this position to do. This older man did not run. 
He did not run. It was not dignified. It was not noble. Kids could run, whatever, servants could run. But this man would not, could not run. It went against decorum, it went against what was proper and right. But listen, beloved, the father didn't care about decorum. He cared about his son. And he runs to meet his son. Now, this is a picture of our Heavenly Father. Do you catch the significance here, beloved? Jesus is picturing the Father running. His love is so intense. He runs after this prodigal son. Oh, how great the love of our God. George Beverly Shea, that voice that was one in a million or more, recently passed away. Perhaps somewhere in his career or somewhere in a crusade, you heard him sing these words. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies a parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God. We serve a good God who loves us. He's pictured here looking for this prodigal son, running after him. But then notice love kissing. Verse 20 again. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him at compassion, ran and watched this fell on his neck and kissed him. Beloved, make no mistake. We have love here. Can't you see that father running and grabbing hold of that old boy and giving him a big old bear hug? And the boy smelled like pig slop and he was dirty and he was terrible looking, but he grabs him, loves him, he kisses him over and over. My boy, my boy, my boy, you're home. I love you. Have you ever thought about God in that regard? What a God we serve. As we sang earlier, how great is our God. How great. Over and over again, we see the goodness of our God. Just how good He is. He's good in His kindness and graciousness, not only to those who love Him, but those who don't love Him, those who walk away from Him. And He's good and kind and gracious. We see His love, a love that causes Him to run, a love that causes Him to look, a love that causes Him to, to embrace those who are not worthy to be embraced. But we're not done. We see a third picture of God's goodness here. And that is when we see His grace. Amazing grace. Did you see what the father did for the son when he returned? Let's look at it again. Maybe, maybe you're here for the first time in this, this series. And uh, we've been going through it a couple of weeks. Now let's look at it again. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. By the way, all that was true. Absolutely true. He had sinned. He was not worthy to be called a son. He had dishonored his father. But it says in verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Now remember, when the prodigal son was out in the pig pen feeding the pigs, he got to thinking, he came up with this plan. I'm going to go home to dad. I'm going to try to be a hired servant. i got a little speech prepared. Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy of you. So let me be one of your hired servants and, and I'll just serve you. And he had it all planned out. He was walking along there and all of a sudden he notices an older man running towards him. It's his dad who comes, who embraces him, who begins kissing him, who escorts him in. And he starts, dad, listen, I've sinned against heaven. I said, and it looks like here that the father cut him off. Couldn't even finish his prepared speech. And I can imagine the prodigal sons, his mind is whirling and he hears his father say to the servants, quick, go and get the best robe, go and get some sandals, go and get a ring, and go and kill, let's have a barbecue and celebrate because my son is home. God's grace. See, grace is the unmerited favor of God. We're not do it. We're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. But God gives us grace. You see, the prodigal will not be a hired servant in the father's house. Instead, he's given a robe, a ring, and sandals. The robe, beloved, is a picture of honor. A picture of honor as a guest. The ring is a picture of authority. That is, it was probably a family signet ring, which meant the boy could transact family business. A robe of honor, a ring of authority, and the sandals, beloved, they tell me, were not worn by servants. They were worn by sons. They represent freedom and sonship in this passage. And as I thought about it, beloved, what a picture of what we're given by God's grace When we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are robed in Christ's righteousness. We're given authority to enter in on family business. The kingdom business. We're made sons and daughters of God. Who have feet shod with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ. There's rejoicing in heaven. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All because of God's amazing grace. You see, beloved, we deserve hell. We're under condemnation. We're not worthy. And yet we come in repentance and faith. And the Father says, robe them in Christ's righteousness. Give them authority to transact family business. He's a son and daughter of mine. And we will rejoice and be glad because this, my son or daughter, was dead. Now they're alive. They were lost. Now they're found. There's a celebration that goes on all because of God's Grace. Someone has said that grace, G-R-A-C-E, stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, God could not merely overlook our sin. He could say, oh, you've sinned, we'll just brush that aside. No, our sin had to be dealt with. Our sin debt had to be paid. And this is where the love of God and the grace of God are clearly seen. Why? Because God took care of them. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
You see, the picture here of the Father, when we look at our Heavenly Father, goes beyond what we find here. And what's that? He sent His own Son, the Lord Jesus, the one telling the story. That's why He's there. That's why He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Because He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And God says, listen, I love you rebels so much, I'm going to send my Son, my beautiful, only Son, to robe Himself in flesh, live among you, sinless, perfect, and yet give Himself voluntarily on an old rugged cross, to die in your place, to shed His blood, to take your sin upon Himself, to be buried and then rise again. And your sin is dealt with at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. The grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. As we often sing, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. When you think about God the Father, when you think about God, is this the picture your mind conjures up? Is this what you think about? Or do you see God out to get you? You see God out to squash you? You see God out to hinder you and hurt you? Beloved, nothing could be further from the truth. God loves you with an everlasting love. He sent His Son to die in your place, to take your place. He will welcome you, forgive you, pardon you, make your son or daughter of God, give you a home in heaven forever. All because of His grace. If we're honest, we're so unbiblical in our view of God at times. We're so unbiblical. God help us. Ernest Hemingway once told a story of a father and his teenage son who had a relationship that had become strained. So much so that the relationship was breaking. Finally, the teenage son ran away from home. The father, however, began a journey in search of his rebellious son. And he searched and searched. And finally in Madrid, in a last desperate effort to find his son, the father put an ad in the newspaper. The newspaper ad read, and I quote, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. End quote. Beloved, Hemingway says the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. <laughs> Beloved, our God has run an ad. It's clear and bold. It says, I so love the world that whosoever will may come. Whosoever believes in my only begotten Son shall have everlasting Life. If you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. And it doesn't matter if one Paco or 800 show up. Fred and Leroy and Tom and Bubba and Mary and Kay and whoever else. When they come in repentance and faith, they find a father who opens his arms in love and says, kill the fatted calf. Let's rejoice. Because my one who was lost is now found. My one who was dead is now alive forevermore. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a God we serve. Thank God, He is so good. Thank Him for His kindness. 
Thank Him for His graciousness. Thank Him for His love. And thank Him for His grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'd be remiss today if I did not extend to you an invitation to meet the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I've shown you the Father's love. I've shared with you the Gospel. The Lord Jesus came and died in your place, arose for you, lives for you, and will forgive you if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Him. In a moment when we sing, I want to invite you to come. I'll send you off with someone who'll take a Bible and sit down and share the Gospel with you again and lead you to the Lord Jesus. I'd invite you to come. But then I think of my brothers and sisters in Christ today. Those of us who know our sin is forgiven. I don't know about you, friend, but when I looked at the Father in the story, I just had to lift my heart in worship. I had to just say, Father, thank you. Thank you. If we're not careful, beloved, we can get a very unbiblical view of our God. And I'm thankful that He corrects us as we study His Word. Maybe you need to just come today and praise and worship. Maybe just in a fresh way, let Him know just how much you love Him. The altar is open to you as well. However God might lead you today, we would encourage you to respond. Now, Father, I thank You for this time. And I thank You for Your Word And I thank you most of all for your grace in sending the Lord Jesus for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us, for taking our sin and then rising again. Now, Father, I know that your heart yearns for anyone here who does not know you. Your word clearly says that you're not willing that any should perish, anybody but that all should come to repentance. But Lord, we know that you're a gentleman. You do not force, you do not make, you invite, you welcome, you plead. But Lord, we realize that we must repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. And so I pray today, if anyone, boy, girl, man, woman, teenager, anybody here today does not know you, I pray in these next few moments, They will turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Now I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see greater and greater just how good you are. Just how awesome you are. May we revel in the gospel and the grace, the love, the mercy, the kindness, the goodness of you, Heavenly Father. And I pray that you do a work in the lives of your people today. And I pray that whatever is accomplished in these next few moments, that you will receive all the honor and all the glory. And we ask this in that name above every name, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. Beloved, real simple today, if you'd like to meet the Lord Jesus, I'll be down at the front here. As we're singing, just step out, come take my hand. Say, preacher, I want to know Jesus. I'll put you as someone who knows Jesus and loves Jesus and loves you. They'll just sit down and walk you through the gospel and lead you to the Lord. Ladies, you can come prepare as we sing.
Christian, the altar is open today. Whatever God may lay upon your heart, if you want to come and pray, we would invite you to do that. 329, grace, grace, marvelous grace. As we think about the goodness of our God today, as we stand and sing that song, you come, come home to the Father who loves you today. As we stand and sing 329, grace, 329.